Some of you are aware that before I was called into pastoral ministry, I was a lawyer. Some of you are not aware that I was a lawyer, or as my dad likes to say, a liar. And, <laughs> and no, he's not from the South. <laughs> Ron Domanis. Yeah, sorry. <laughs> as an attorney, I got to hear lots of different stories about other attorneys. And one of the stories that I'll never forget, it actually happened a long time ago, there was a law conference and there was a whole bunch of attorneys who chartered a bus and drove to the conference. And on the way to the conference, the bus driver lost control and they actually went over a cliff and they all died. Tragically, the bus was only half full. Get it? <laughs> okay, I know it's a bad lawyer joke, but it's supposed to be funny. And the reason why it's supposed to be funny is because of the reputation that attorneys have for being liars and swindlers and cheats, right? I mean, if you think about lawyers, the stereotype is that they're people who use their words to fight, and they twist the truth, and they defame, and they tear others down. I mean, how do you know when a lawyer is telling the truth? When his lips aren't moving. Very good, very good. Again, it's a joke, but it's, it's how a lot of us feel about lawyers because of how they speak. And how we speak and what we say really says a whole lot about the type of people that we are. Last week, we began a sermon series in the book of Proverbs. And in the introductory sermon, Pastor Tim taught us that a proverb, proverb in the biblical sense is a saying that typically contrasts two truths in order to show us how to live wisely and not fall into foolishness. And, and there are hundreds of these proverbs in Scripture, and they cover, they cover many, many, many different topics. And today, the Lord put on my heart the topic of the tongue, our speech. The speech of the wise versus the speech of the fool. Now, the main topic, the main uh, passage that we're going to be studying is Proverbs chapter 18, verses 4 through 8. There's all kinds of other Proverbs on the tongue, and I'm going to be jumping around, and I'm going to, I'm going to be hitting a bunch of them, but chapter 18, verses 4 through 8, is the main passage that we're going to be studying. And as, as you turn there to chapter 18 in Proverbs, I'm going to pray. Father, I thank you for this opportunity to speak your word. And I pray, Father, that my words would not be my own, but yours. So, Father, I ask that you would fill me with your spirit right now. And that you would prepare every one of our hearts to hear your truth. In Jesus' name. Now, before we dive into the body of the text, I just want to look very briefly at the significance of speech. The significance of speech. You see, the book of Proverbs contains some 90 different verses that talk about either the tongue or speech, making it one of the most prevalent, and depending on how you measure it, the, the most prevalent topic in the whole book. And that's pretty significant. Well, well why, why is that important? Well, Proverbs is concerned with what? Concerned with the acquisition of wisdom. Proverbs is all about us 
becoming more wise. And what is wisdom? It's the skill to properly apply God's truth to our lives. That's, that's wisdom. And one of the most common actions that we do is what? Is talk, is speak. Every day we speak to all kinds of people. And we should be speaking to God. And we speak to ourselves a whole lot too. One study I read estimated that of our waking hours, the time that we're awake, 20% of that time is spent speaking. That's a lot of speech. That doesn't even account for what's going on in our inner monologue. We speak every day, and and the contents and manner of our speech are an excellent indicator, and, and maybe even the best indicator of whether we're following the path of the wise or the path of the fool. And that's why Proverbs contains so many teachings about our speech, because the reality is what comes out of our mouths is the primary indicator of what's going on in our hearts and in our minds, spiritually, emotionally, intellectually, so on and so forth. Don't take my word for it. That's what Scripture says. In fact, that's what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 12, verse 34. He said, Out of the abundance, out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. What comes out of our mouth, our speech, it's, it's like a flashing neon sign that's projecting what's going on in our heart. Whether that's sinful and foolish or God-honoring and wise. So we all need to be really, really mindful of what comes out of our lips. So really, all of these proverbs of the tongue are meant to get us to see our hearts and show us what's in our hearts and to make us mindful of what's coming out of our heart. And because every single one of us speak and we all have hearts, I guess... You're all breathing. You all have hearts, right? Pastor Tim may be a little heartless sometimes. I know. But apart from Pastor Tim, we all have hearts. And so this is applicable to every single one of us, right? Because we all speak. But, but our speech is significant for a second reason. Because it's not only an indicator of the path that we're taking, the foolish or the wise path. It's also has a great effect on all those people around us. And it's one of the chief ways that we represent Christ to the world. Proverbs chapter 18, verse 21 says that death and life are in the power of the tongue, and those who love it will eat its fruits. If we aren't mindful of what's coming out of our mouths, if we don't, if we don't take care to tame our tongue, we'll become foolish speakers of death instead of instead of the wise speakers of life that God calls us to be. And we'll also misrepresent Jesus to the world. Unfortunately, taming the tongue is no easy task. In fact, James chapter 3 says that it's impossible for a human to tame the tongue. Verse 8 in James 3 says, No human being can tame the tongue. Thankfully, God can tame our tongues for us. And that is, that's how this works. We submit to God and the Holy Spirit begins to transform our hearts 
which produces pure speech. And if we yield our tongue to the Spirit and we seek the wisdom found in Scriptures, then what's in our hearts is going to be purified and will draw nearer to the Lord and our speech will be life instead of death. And this brings us all the way down to our passage for today. Proverbs chapter 18, verse 4. And verse 4 says, The words of a man's mouth are deep waters. The fountain of wisdom is a bubbling brook. Now the first part of this verse gives us the overarching statement and sets up the contrast here between the speech of the fools and the speech of the wise. The first part of this verse tells us that the words of a man's mouth are deep waters. There's great, there's great depth and it's hard to see clearly where our words are coming from. They're, it's murky. Deep waters are dark and hard to see into. And so whether someone's words are proceeding from a foolish heart or a wise heart are sometimes hard to tell. And so the rest of this passage shows us how to discern between a foolish speaker and a wise speaker so that we can see through the murkiness and clearly into our hearts. And then the second half of this verse makes a very short statement that lets us know that the words of the wise will always bring life. Why? They're like a bubbling brook supplying life-giving water. And we're going to look at ways that our tongue can speak life at the end of this sermon. But before we get there, we see that our text is primarily concerned with the sinful speech of fools. Teaching us how to speak wisely by giving us examples of how not to speak. So we're going to take these verses one by one and we're really going to break down what sinful speech looks like. And we're going to start right in verse 5. And verse 5 says, It's not good to be partial to the wicked or to deprive the righteous of justice. Now, at first glance, when we read that, we might not think it's really talking about speech. But if we dig into the verse and we understand the context and what it's getting to, it's actually referring to courtroom testimony. Courtroom testimony. Basically, it's addressing false witnesses and slandering other people. And we can broaden that a little bit, and basically we can boil it down and say that the verse is talking about the lying tongue. The lying tongue. Lying to and lying about other people. See, if we're called into court to give a testimony, then our words are going to be used as evidence in that case. And so if we tell a lie then we're going to benefit the wrong person and justice will not be done. That's what the verse is talking about. One, one attorney that I used to practice with practiced workers' compensation law. And, and workers' compensation law is basically when an employee gets hurt on the job and then sues their employer. That's workers' compensation. And he told me a story, a true story, about an attorney in a case who was cross-examining an employee who was suing his employer because he had hurt his arm on the job and they couldn't settle the claim. And so the attorney had the plaintiff on the stand and he said to him, can you please show the courtroom how high you can raise your arm now that it's been injured? 
And the plaintiff gingerly raised his arm and he got it up to about 90 degrees and the attorney said, that's, that's as far as you can go, right? And he said, yes, sir, this is as far as I can go. It really hurts bad. And then he kind of gingerly put it back down. And then the attorney asked the plaintiff, he said, well, can you please show the court how high you used to be able to raise your arm before the injury? And the guy put his arm right up in the air. Naturally, he lost his case. So we see that the guy was not only a liar, but he was also a fool. Fools lie. They don't speak truth. But, but the lying is just the symptom, okay? Let's go deeper. Let's get it to the heart. What is a lie revealing about your heart? And the real heart issue at work here, at, at the basest level, is selfishness. The primary reason that we lie is because we're trying to benefit ourselves, by twisting the truth. We're selfish, and we're putting our own benefits, our own desires, our own reputation above everything else. When we lie, we're selfish at heart and loving ourselves above all else. Unfortunately for liars and slanderers, their gain is momentary, and it will always, always lead in ruin. Chapter 21, verse 6 says, The getting of treasures by a lying tongue is a fleeting vapor and a snare of death. I found an interesting study that said that if the average person is in conversation for more than five minutes, then they've told a lie. And the study found that the primary reason that we lie is because we're trying to make ourselves look better. So we really need to think about this. How often does my selfish heart rear its ugly head through my speech? How often do I lie to make myself look better and to get some momentary gain? It's it's so simple, isn't it, to just slightly twist the facts or omit something that makes me look good, puts me in a better light. And we don't give the whole truth. And don't let the devil fool you. A half-truth is nothing but a whole lie. And you know what? God hates a lying tongue. In Proverbs chapter 6, in the list of things that God hates, two of those are lies. But as we move on to verse to six, we see that fools also quarrel and fight with their words. Verse six says that a fool's lips walk into a fight and his mouth invites a beating. It's pretty evocative language. You can all kind of picture that. The speech of a fool is provocative and vulgar and profane and it's going to cause quarreling and arguing. Now, I know that some of us, we just like to speak our minds. But you know what? We do it without regard to the impact of our words on other people. And we speak in spite of knowing that our words are going to inspire anger and bitterness and cause arguments and provoke people to fight back. 
And Scripture says that if that's you, then your speech shows that you are a worthless fool. It's pretty strong. Chapter 12, verse 18 says, There is one whose rash words are like sword thrusts. Chapter 16, verse 27 says, A worthless man plots evil, and his speech is like a scorching fire. When we have provocative speech, it's like sword thrusts and a scorching fire that comes out and sets the world on fire around us and provokes fighting and quarreling. Are are you someone who always seems to cause bickering and arguing whenever you share your opinion? Do you let others know what you think regardless of the impact If you're resonating with any of these questions, then then we have to look at what's going on in our hearts. Because again, it's not just the the speech that's the issue. The basic issue that's being exposed through our rash, tactless speech is pride. That's what's going on in our hearts. We're going to say what we want to say regardless of what other people think or how it will affect them. And that's pride. I'm right, and they're wrong, and they need to be put in their place. That's pride. The prideful fool rashly speaks, and his words are like daggers to those who hear them, causing fighting and quarreling and ultimately ending in ruin. In fact, as we move on to verse 7, verse 7 specifically says that a fool's mouth is his ruin. And his lips are a snare to his soul. While this verse doesn't specifically outline a sin, it just it reiterates how vitally important it is to be mindful of our speech. Because if we aren't allowing the Holy Spirit to tame our tongue and lead us into wise living, then our tongue will lead us to ruin, to death. This is why we're called to pursue wisdom, because wisdom will transform our hearts and minds and produce godly living, including pure speech. Chapter 4, verse 24 says, Put away from you crooked speech and put devious talk far from you. Chapter 6, verse 12 says, A worthless person, a wicked man, goes about with crooked speech. So, is your speech honoring to God, or is it crooked and perverse? Do you fall into the trap of coarse jesting and using sexual innuendo all the time? Do you put others down and and make derogatory remarks and judge them and, and make others feel worthless and demeaned? Are you a complainer? You complain all the time. All of these things are crooked and perverse speech, and all of them are evidence of sin in your heart. And they'll turn others away from the God that you claim to serve and represent. And you know what? Maybe, maybe none of these things are resonating with you. Maybe, maybe you feel like your speech is pretty clean and your heart is pretty clear. 
Well, then you know what? I'll bet every single one of you can think of other people who speak this way. And so these verses should give us compassion to come alongside them and see through their speech and recognize that there's deep heart issues at play here that we can lovingly and gently help them see and come to repentance over. And this brings us to our final verse here, verse 8, which is all about our speech concerning other people. It says, The words of a whisperer are like delicious morsels. They go down into the inner parts of the body. You see, a whisperer or a talebearer in some translations is a gossip. Some translations just say gossip. What's a gossip? Well, someone who spreads rumors and false information about others behind their back. And the reason why it's so easy to fall into this sin is because these juicy tidbits, these, these morsels of information are like tasty little treats that we can't help but just gobble up. And then once we receive the information, we can't help but sharing it with others. And when we share it, it often gets twisted and more and more off base until we're just telling bold-faced lies. I want every single one of you for a moment to picture in your mind's eye what a Viking looks like. All right? Picture in your mind's eye what a Viking looks like. You have the picture? Okay, well, most of you probably have pictured in your mind something that looks like this. You can see it on the screen here. This is a Viking from a recent video game. But did you know that it is historical fact that Vikings never ever wore horned helmets into battle. They never ever wore horned helmets into battle. In fact, they didn't usually wear any helmets at all. But because they were attacking the civilized world, the Christian countries tried to demonize them. And the leaders of the Christian countries spread rumors that they had horns growing out of their heads. And they commissioned artists to paint pictures with them wearing horned helmets. And to this day, through the ages, that lie, that rumor, that gossip has never gone away. And people still picture Vikings just like that. Whether it be the Minnesota Vikings or those Capital One guys. Right? We still picture Vikings with horned helmets. Gossip can quickly and effectively spread a lie about someone, no matter how ridiculous it is. If enough people are talking about it, eventually people are going to assume that it's truth, and then they'll start spreading it as well. And pretty soon there's anger and there's bitterness and division. And that's exactly what Satan is trying to do. Proverbs 16.28 says, A whisperer, a gossip, separates close friends. While chapter 17, verse 9 says, Whoever covers an offense seeks love, but he who repeats a matter separates close friends. See, those who gossip and spread information, whether it's rumor or even if it's a fact, that simply isn't your place to share. You're going to cause division and separate a body. 
And guess what? You know, on that list of things hate, God, God hates, this is in there too. It says in chapter 6, verse 19, that God hates those who sow discord and cause division among brothers. But, but like all these other parts of speech, gossiping is merely symptomatic of a deeper heart issue. What's, what's deep down in the heart of a gossiper? Well, amongst other things, it's a heart of self-righteousness and judgment that wants to lift itself up over everyone else. You see, when we gossip, when we spread information about other people that we have no business sharing, we put ourselves above them and in the judgment seat to whoever we're speaking to. And we also are trying to elevate ourselves in the eyes of the person that we're speaking to. So it's working on two fronts. I'm judging the person I'm speaking about, and I'm trying to elevate myself in the eyes of the person I'm speaking to. And that's a heart of self-righteousness. So we have to be honest with this one as well. How many times have I shared information about other people behind their backs? Maybe it was a prayer request. How many times do I have to lower my voice to a whisper to share information so that no one around me hears? That's what this passage is talking about. And you know what? It really doesn't matter if the information is true and I need to repeat that and you need to hear it. If it's not your place to share the information, true or not, you're gossiping. You're in sin, and that's evidence of a self-righteous heart. But there's another sin that whisperers fall into, and that's the sin of flattery. And this is the last part of sinful speech that we're going to look at. While gossiping is something that you say behind someone's back that you would never say to their face, flattery is saying something to someone's face that you would never say behind their back. All right, we get that? And flattery is just as sinful and destructive as any of these other parts of speech. Proverbs twenty six twenty eight says, A lying tongue hates its victims, and a flattering mouth works ruin. While chapter 29, verse 5 says, A man who flatters his neighbor spreads a net for his feet. We can all very easily fall into flattery when we're trying to get on someone's good side or we're trying to get something that we want. We say what we think they want to hear instead of speaking the truth, and that's a lie. Now, they may be nice lies, but they're lies nonetheless, and that's sin. Anyone here named John Smith, out of curiosity? No, we don't have any. Well, John Smith, for many, many years, was the most popular name in the United States. And it was for that reason alone that John Smith was the most popular name in the United States that the author, Mark Twain, Huckleberry Finn, Tom Sawyer, he wrote those books, dedicated another book that he wrote, The Celebrated Jumping Frog. He dedicated that book to John Smith. And in the dedication, he wrote this, 
I have known in diverse and sundry places and whose many and manifold virtues did always command my esteem, John Smith. Now, Twain, he figured that anyone who had a book dedicated to him would go out and buy at least one copy of the book. And so he figured because of all the thousands of people in the United States named John Smith, his book, which he didn't think was going to be very good, would have at least modest sales. Twain was trying to use flattery to benefit himself, to sell his book. And that's what a flatterer does. They don't care about what other people think or the benefit of other people. All they care about is benefiting themselves. And they're just using their words as a means to an end. And, and the heart issue at play here is a lot like lying. It's selfishness. But there's another angle, there's another aspect to flattery that I think might grab a couple of our attention. And that's those of us who have people-pleasing in our hearts. We butter people up because we want to get them to think better of us. We want to earn their approval. We want them to look at us in a good light. And that's people-pleasing. And that's sin. Because what happens is we elevate the opinion of that person above the opinion of God. And we seek to please them through our words instead of pleasing our God. And if we want to really boil that down even further, that's idolatry. That's what's in our hearts when we're people pleasers. We're idolaters. And that's never a good thing to have in our hearts. Now, does that mean that I can never say something nice to someone? Of course not. We're called to encourage and build up and love one another and strengthen the body. But our motives need to be for the other person's benefit, not our own. So we can ask ourselves here, am I a people pleaser with my words? Do I tell other people what I think they want to hear? Maybe my boss... Maybe my parents, my friends. Or maybe I just use people to get what I want with my words and I just butter them up and flatter them so they do whatever I'm trying to get them to do. That's flattery, that's sin, and that's going to lead to death. All of these sins of the tongue, they're they're deadly. And, And if they're present in our life, then we really need to examine our hearts and see what's going on deep down inside of our hearts. Because remember, this, this speech is just the symptom. It's the heart that we're trying to get to and have transformation in. Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks, and death and life are in the power of the tongue. Now we've just spent a whole lot of time looking at sinful speech and the death that's produced. And so we're going to take the last couple of minutes and focus on the wise, skillful speech that brings life. Remember verse 4? Remember the second half? It says, the fountain of wisdom is a bubbling brook. Wisdom, what is wisdom? Remember, it's the skillful application of the truth of God into our lives. Wisdom will produce transformation in our hearts that brings forth life from our lips. 
And so while verse 5 starts off by warning us that the foolish speaker of death will lie and slander others from a heart of selfishness, the first characteristic of wise, life-giving speech is that it always speaks the truth. Chapter 12, verse 19 says, Truthful lips endure forever, but a lying tongue is but for a moment. And chapter 8, verses 6 through 8 says, Hear, for I will speak noble things, and from my lips will come what is right, for my mouth will utter truth. Wickedness is an abomination to my lips. All the words of my mouth are righteous. There is nothing twisted or crooked in them. Skillful speech is characterized first and foremost, by truth. Not only that the words that we say are true, but also our words are filled with the truth of Scripture. But skillful speech is also, secondly, characterized by peacemaking. Peacemaking. Whereas a pride-filled heart will produce speech that causes quarreling and fighting, the heart of the wise and humble speaker will produce peaceful speech that will avert hostility. The very first verse I ever memorized is Proverbs 15.1, which says, A gentle answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. And I like to think that the Lord was preparing me to go into the legal profession because there were lots of times where he had to bring that one to mind when I was in the middle of an adversarial situation where the attorney that I was arguing with was starting to get angry and raising their voice and get louder. And a gentle word from my lips was able to diffuse the situation and we were able to achieve a positive outcome. The words of the wise don't incite others to fight, but they bring peace to a volatile situation and they avert anger because the heart of the wise is filled with humility. But sometimes more wisdom than speaking a gentle word is required. Sometimes the skillful tongue is the restrained tongue that says nothing at all. Proverbs chapter 17, verse 27 says, Whoever restrains his words has knowledge, and he who has a cool spirit is a man of understanding. Chapter 21, verse 23 says, Whoever keeps his mouth and his tongue keeps himself out of trouble. While 1019 says, When words are many, transgression is not lacking, sin is not absent, but whoever restrains his lips is prudent. The heart of the wise, humble person knows enough to keep silent where appropriate and keep itself out of trouble. In fact, chapter 17, verse 28 says that even a fool who keeps silent is considered wise. When he closes his lips, he is deemed intelligent. I've heard that it was said that it's better to keep your mouth shut and let everyone think that you're a fool than to open your mouth and remove all doubt. And that brings us to the final characteristic of skillful speech. And there's others, but these are just a couple that I'm highlighting. And this is encouragement and exhortation. 
Instead of gossiping and flattering and slandering others because of the self-righteous pride and people-pleasing tendencies that are in our heart, the heart of the wise encourages and brings healing to others because it seeks to love God and love others above itself. We already looked at the first half of 1218, which says there is one whose rash words are like sword thrusts, but read the second half. The tongue of the wise brings healing. Skillful speech doesn't speak rashly. It doesn't offend. Instead, it brings life to its hearers. While chapter 28, verse 23 says, whoever rebukes a man will afterward find more favor than he who flatters with his tongue. The skillful speaker knows how to speak the truth in love, which may mean pointing out someone's sin. But you do it gently, you do it lovingly, and you bring healing. And when we do that, when we encourage others and build them up and graciously help them see the sin in their hearts, then Proverbs tells us that the wise words that we speak are like sweet honeycomb, 1624. As precious as choice silver, chapter 10, verse 20. And as beautiful as precious gold set in silver, chapter 25, verse 11. Speaking with wisdom should be the goal of every single one of us. Because Jesus said in Matthew chapter 12, I tell you, on the day of judgment, people will give account for every careless word they speak. For by your words you will be justified, and by your words you will be condemned. It's a pretty scary thought for some of us, for me. Why will we be judged by our words? Because it's out of the abundance of the heart that the mouth speaks. Jesus really isn't talking about words here. He's talking about your heart. And you know what? Ultimately, this sermon really hasn't been about our speech at all. The proverbs of the tongue are all just proverbs that reveal our heart. And that brings us all the way back to those attorneys who drove off of a cliff. Now, we laugh again because of the poor reputation of attorneys. But guess what? These proverbs make very, very clear that there is one attorney who we desperately need to clear up the ugliness within our hearts. And do you know who that lawyer is? Jesus Christ. That's right. Did you know he was an attorney? Uh, Yeah, he was a carpenter on earth. But you know what he's doing up in heaven right now? He is every single one of our criminal defense attorneys. Scripture tells us that Jesus Christ is sitting at the right hand of the Father, interceding on our behalf, Romans 8.34, and that he is our mediator so that we can even come before the throne of God, 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 5. And, and when the great prosecutor, when the great accuser, Satan, stands and accuses the brethren, do you know who's standing right next to him, pleading his own blood, being our advocate Jesus Christ. And we have our innocence because of what he has done for us. There is no greater attorney in all the universe than Jesus. Amen? Amen. And that is what these proverbs of speech are meant to get us to realize. 
that none of us can tame our tongue without Jesus Christ in our hearts, transforming us from the inside out. These proverbs of speech are meant to get us to see how desperately we need Christ. So let's not take the path of the fool, the path that rejects Christ and speaks death. Let's follow the path of the wise, the one who submits to Jesus and recognizes their need for a Savior, which transforms their hearts and produces speech that spreads truth and builds up those around them. Let's heed the wisdom of Scripture and follow Christ so that our hearts are transformed and our words will be bearers of life. Amen? Amen.